Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Happy New Year! We at UCLA Extension wish you a healthy and successful 2022. Our agility and confidence, all of us, will be tested as we all continue to transition from a somewhat predictable 2019, two years ago now, economic and jobs environment to one of COVID-led workplace changes, schoolroom challenges, and record high stimulus payments of all kinds. Two years of unsustainable money and debt creation will have a 2022 reckoning as we begin the year with high inflation, new congressional stay-at-home entitlement programs in the pipeline, continuing supply chain disruptions, and general avoidance of work in consumer-facing businesses, at least with current wage rates, which do not compensate enough to give up entitlements and accept ongoing COVID transmission risks. We see that because of the high turnover in the hospitality, restaurant, and related areas where restaurants in particular are not able to still attract a workforce, in many cases, to even offer lunches as opposed to their 2019 offering of luncheons and dinners. Anyway, I'll go out on a limb in this podcast and share my own economic and jobs expectations for 2022, and I'll give the key drivers of these personal forecasts. In other words, why do I think that? I do so as usual, knowing that they will conflict with media spins and political speeches, especially during this campaign year for House and Senate seats. It's unfortunate our country is so polarized that each political party will stop at nothing to defeat the other one. That being said, we have been in this most uncomfortable position a number of times since 1776, including the period highlighted by the excellent production of Hamilton, and that production includes the famous Aaron Burr-Alexander Hamilton duel, which again represents the physical part of politics that has been more the rule than the exception in the U.S., This year, with control of Congress in the balance, the allegations and mostly empty promises of both parties will dominate media coverage, picking up substantial momentum in the second half of the year. The key to sorting out all these lies and misrepresentations is, as always, a basic understanding of data trends and economic history, as I'll reference as we go today. And this is really why we produce our podcasts, to encourage you to study and to add to your knowledge of what you should be looking at to make your own conclusions about your own futures. We should often remind ourselves that the United States is a lead player, but not the only major player in the global economy. For example, in 2008-2009, the Great Recession was a global one, but it was caused primarily by ignored risks in U.S. home appraisals and risks that were ignored in homeowner capabilities to make their future payments and a self-serving, if not corrupt, mortgage securitization industry. Our poor home finance practices brought the world financial system to its knees back then. But events outside the United States have and can quickly surface to cause major disruptions in our country. It's certainly a two-way street. I'll mention one such possibility later in today's podcast, and as a hint, it involves the European community. But for now, back to the U.S. 
As we've noted over and over in our prior podcasts, 2021 inflation was not and is not transitory, nor is it to be argued away or distracted by Fed speak or our dysfunctional Congress media programs. Congress has already locked in 4 to $5 trillion of spending for many future years based on what has already been approved in 2021. It's important to recall the basics. Let's recall how far out of balance we've moved in recent years. First of all, the federal government collects about $4 trillion a year of taxes, Social Security, and Medicare, but spends 5 to $7 trillion a year, leaving $1 to $2 trillion or more as an annual deficit, which, since the U.S. government has no funds of its own, it spends more than it raises. The annual deficit is raised each year by issuing more government debt. And I posted the U.S. debt clock link that some of you may have accessed. It's an important link on the SoundCloud account. And I encourage you to bookmark this site as it's constantly updating in real time the debt. In other words, the revenues and spending by major categories of our federal government. And it includes many metrics of our ballooning debt and spending at both the federal and state levels. The almost $30 trillion of national debt equals about $89,000 for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. I'll say that again. The almost $30 trillion of national debt equals approximately $89,000 for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. On the other hand, the incoming government revenue is less than $13,000 a year across all men, women, and children. And all of this $13,000 and more is spent on Social Security, Medicare payments, entitlement programs, defense, and the bloated administrative expenses of government. There is no chance of repaying a significant part of the $30 trillion of national debt that continues to grow $1 to $2 trillion more every year. Since the median income per working person is under $36,000 a year, you can imagine tax increases, particularly in an environment defined by higher family rent, higher food costs, and higher gasoline expenses, just to name a few, is a non-starter for politicians. And even if it were feasible, a large tax increase would not, it could not stop, the increasing trillions of dollars of government spending. Yes, I'm only addressing the U.S. federal government, knowing that many state taxes are also not covering state expenditures. I'll again urge you to go to the debt clock link and really look at where we are heading into 2022. By all accounts, the Fed bailing out congressional spending by printing new dollars and buying new government debt is nearing the end game stage. What's the end game? The end game is a general lack of confidence in U.S. global leadership and financial strength. Why should I care what other countries and foreign investors think? Well, one big care revolves around the fact that they are financing our government and trade deficits. A few days ago, it was reported we just recorded the highest balance of trade deficit ever. In plain speak, this means we are now tracking toward a $1 trillion trade deficit, and this additional trillion dollars is above and beyond the excess government spending deficits of $1 to $2 trillion a year. But the $1 trillion trade deficit we just assume will be financed by uh, the foreign exporters, our trade partners, which actually is mainly China. So we need foreign countries to continue to lend us increasing trillions of dollars this year, next year, as far as the eye can see. 
Is it realistic to expect that we in the United States continue with our out-of-control spending at all levels with foreign governments that have their own internal problems, continuing to sign U.S. IOUs? In two months, Fed Chairman Powell will win appointment for a new term of four years. After this reappointment, I expect a more aggressive Fed in fighting inflation, finally, particularly with many Fed board members realizing that inflation is here to stay. I see 2022 with respect to the Fed in three time periods. First of all, from now until March, the Fed will cut back on its monthly purchases of securitized mortgage debt, as they've announced. The second time period is March through October, given the really important House and Senate elections in early November. And finally, the third period is November 2022 through the following year, 2023. The markets have already factored in the first period, in my opinion. They have not yet, in my view, factored in the second period in which the Fed will not only be fighting high inflation by increasing interest rates, which, by the way, simply will not work, as the inflation concerns are already generating escalating consumer concerns that are not going to be changeable by higher borrowing rates, at least this year, in my view. From March to November, the Fed will vacillate back and forth between interest rate increases and bond and stock market reactions. The Fed has already made one big mistake. They realized the high inflation scenario a year or so too late, and they can't make up for this mistake without seriously risking a major recession by slowing new money creation while increasing interest rates. The third period from November 22nd through next year will spook investors as the U.S. becomes more polarized politically and black swan events outside the United States become global concerns. There are so many lurking black swan event issues of serious consequence, it's impossible to pick one. But the potential of only one would upset global financial markets, our savings, and our future lifestyles. Let's start with one that almost no one talks about yet. The European community has promised, and I'll add a few more to watch in addition to the European community. First of all, number one, the below 0% yield on between 15 and $20 trillion of European government debt is killing the European bond markets, as new buyers can expect no return or negative returns, and these new buyers are pretty scarce. Additionally, all of those who have already bought this debt face huge losses when interest rates do move up. Remember that bond prices are heading down as interest rates are heading up. That relationship is inescapable. The European Central Bank has bought so much of these zero or negative yielding bonds, their solvency would be threatened as they wouldn't have enough capital to legally hold these bonds as the prices of their bonds would decline and eat up their capital reserves when interest rates are moving up. Think of it this way. If you borrowed on buying a new stock and the stock continued to go down in price, your losses at some point would exceed the value of the stock that supports your loan. And that's essentially where they are. We're at that point with the European Central Bank, in my opinion. During the 08-09 Great Recession, our Fed bailed out European banks. But this time, the bailout could simply be too large. Anyway, a big hiccup in Europe would quickly translate to global credit and liquidity concerns. This actually could happen in 2022, but could also be delayed until 2023. My advice is to look and read carefully the announcements that do come out on the European Central Bank and whatever media you read or watch. 
Number two, the U.S. workforce before COVID was already an issue. New full-time jobs were created each year in small numbers versus the numbers of new graduates. During COVID, entitlement payments went stratospheric and many still continue. For example, federal payments for food support to families were approximately $100 billion last year and expectations this year that they will rise close to $150 billion. That's just a one single program, and there are so many more that you could look at. The $1 to $2 trillion package, the newest spending package, as of this podcast, has not been passed by Congress, and if passed in some form, would continue to add many new entitlements. Recent studies have indicated that a dual household income parent would need to receive annual compensation of in excess of $60,000 a year to break even versus entitlement programs for staying at home where they previously had a $35,000 to $40,000 job. And that includes not having to pay for childcare, of course, staying at home. Of course, remote work, either full or part-time, begins to look more attractive, but these supplemental government payments go down as income goes up. So for many, it may be better to stay at home and collect the entitlements because if they did earn $50,000 to $60,000 a year, they would not be qualified to receive them. And the break-even point, as I just mentioned, many have studied is somewhere close to $60,000 a year. A $60,000 a year job, or let's say $55,000 to $60,000 a year job, could be roughly a break-even versus the parent staying at home receiving entitlement payments. So it's no surprise many don't wish to enter or re-enter the workforce. Number three, our supply chain issues will continue through 2022. They could actually get worse. Many port workers are coming to a major contract negotiation in June of this year. Right now, the ports continue to be backed up with the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, which account for about 40% of all ship-bound imports to the U.S. The ports of L.A. and Long Beach are really the poster children. With official consumer price indices now reflecting 67% inflation, can you imagine the unions not demanding large new raises? I can't. Now consider that since 1990, which is over 30 years, there has been no new contract throughout this whole period without a strike. How would a strike sit with our supply chain issues? Preparations for a strike should make the media's 24-hour drama cycle in April or May, so stay tuned. Number four, rent increases are already dialed in. I introduced you to the free Hoya Capital website last year. Call Hoya focuses their studies on the real estate investment trust industry with particular experience on their part in collecting up-to-date rental rates. I'm providing an additional link on our SoundCloud account where they document that rent increases across the U.S. in recent months have gone up 15% or more. So this is in the pipeline. It's happening. And here's the gist of where we are. Residential rental rates across the U.S. are continuing to increase, and some over 20%. The CPI, even though they update rentals only twice a year for their index, will have no choice but to factor this uptrend into future CPI releases. Number five, many household food expenses are skyrocketing. It's not unusual to see bacon at $10 a pound and good quality meats from $30 to $45 a pound. 
The Food and Agricultural Organizations, the FAO, Food Price Index, which tracks international prices of the most globally traded food commodities, is my reference point for the next item. And this item is that the November reading of the FAO Food Price Index was the highest since June of 2011. And on a year-to-year basis, the index has increased 27.3%. Number six, gasoline prices up 50% of the past year or so. Number seven, restaurant prices up 20% in many areas with additional fees for delivery. Number eight, Ikea, Walmart, and other chains have announced price increases of 9% or more in the past few weeks. I could go on, but all in all, I expect at least two significant global events which will serve to disrupt bond and stock markets in 2022 and will likely disrupt new job creation. Number one, As I mentioned, the European Central Bank is having difficulty rolling over existing debt and selling new bonds. This difficulty is related to higher inflation globally but presents high risks separate and apart from inflation. Many European economies continue to be wrecked by their politicians imposing more lockdowns and other strict COVID controls. Civil unrest is increasing, which dampens economic activity and results in countries having to issue more debt. Not unlike the U.S. in this scenario, but a big difference is that the European Central Bank has a much shorter runway to keep adding government debt while trying to increase their money supply, the euro. The Fed has many more options by the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 versus the various acts and amendments of the European Central Bank. And secondly, U.S. market recognition that high inflation is here for years, not weeks or months. High U.S. inflation will drive up long-term interest rates. Bond prices and stock prices will, as a consequence, experience substantial sell-offs. I hope you do access the links provided for this podcast. They'll help guide you to better understand the end game that is approaching. For now, I wish you the best of 2022, and be careful, be vigilant, and watch the European Central Bank in addition to accessing the debt clock site. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin, this podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.